Welcome to another episode of the Billion Dollar Broker. I'm really excited today. I've got Chris Slater from AFG. He's the head of sales and distribution. And normally I reserve this for brokers, but for you, Chris, I've made a, a, a special exemption because yeah, every time we chat, you're just such a wealth of information. And I take so much from our conversations that I think you're going to add a lot of value to the listeners. I remember when we were in Ireland, right? And you were saying that sometimes brokers dismiss you, oh, what would you know about running a business? And you, the yeah. comment you made to me was, actually, I run a really big business, right? And you know the number of loans that you settled through your white label product and you were instrumental in obviously setting that up. Um, there's a lot that we can learn from you about running a business because the size business that you're running and it's in the same industry that all of us are working in is in that mortgage broking industry. So you have so much value to offer. So uh, welcome, Chris. Cheers, mate. It's great to uh, be here. And um, thanks for um, allowing me to, to catch up. It's actually been a while since we caught up. So I've been looking forward to having a chat. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And, uh, you know, one of the things uh, that I see you've been doing is working on yourself and constantly, you know, working on your own personal development. And you've sort of had a bit of a fitness journey, um, which takes me back to, you know, early days so talk to me about early days pre-broking what you're into for for those that yeah yeah sure um yeah a bit of background so i sort of um i did what everyone did sort of i was, I was born in Mackay, north queensland so i did all my schooling there and um i always had a i wanted to play soccer for australia actually so i um i did a um i finished school i got offered a contract to play um state league in brisbane at the same time um i'd been accepted into law for university so I, I, at the time i thought i wanted to be a lawyer i worked out after about 12 months i didn't but i went and got a journalism degree kept chasing my footy um i ended up um getting a contract to play national league with with brisbane in the national league at the time but also um part of that gig was um i got a job as a journalist, really running the, I worked for the Queensland Soccer Federation, um, did a lot of freelance work. So I did some TV commentary, ran a 32 page magazine for a while on, on 40. So I just, I was really into that, but I wanted to, I wanted to play for Australia. So I got offered a contract um, to play for Sydney Olympic in Sydney and just gave all that away, went to Sydney and um, unfortunately didn't, didn't crack it, got injured after about 10 weeks in Sydney and sort of ended up going back to Brisbane um, on a footy contract, but um, while I was while I was injured in Sydney, I decided I needed a job. So I, I just I basically didn't I didn't have a cent to my name. Soccer wasn't paying that well back then, and so I applied for a million jobs, couldn't get one. I, I rang mum and dad and said, "Can you chuck some money in my account so I can get home?" And then the very next day, Commonwealth Bank rang me and said, "You've got a job if you want it as a teller at Monavale Branch in the northern beaches of Sydney." So I, I sort of took it. I thought I'd, I was sort of brought up, you know, to pay your own way. So I started as a teller there, got a transfer back to Brisbane to play soccer, but the Commonwealth Bank um, gave me a transfer as well. And I worked there, pretty much worked my way up from a teller right up to, you know, mobile banking and premium banking. And then a mate of mine just happened to, he, he left CBA. We, we sort of did lending together and he set up his own aggregation business and he asked me to come and join him. So I did that for three years. And then um, AFG gave me a call and, you know, it was 15 years ago, the rest is history, but it was a bit of a weird way to get into it. But I sort of, once I got into the broking industry, I just, I loved it. I was working with, you know, just motivated people. I just, I loved how they put everything on the line. 
Um, there was no there's no paycheck there at the end of the week, and uh, at the time um, the industry was growing, and there was a you know there was lots of action and plenty of really talented people. So I sort of just you know I, I guess I always thought one day I'd go back to journalism, but I but I never did, I'm, and I'm here I am loving it. Yeah, amazing. It was uh, a bit like myself. I I did a physical education degree for about twelve months and thought I'd uh, go into that, but never went back. And uh, had a bit journey like yourself, starting a teller in a credit union and uh, yeah. still in the industry all these years later, right? So there's something about yeah. it, that's for sure. So, I mean, you've done a number of roles. You were just talking through your different roles that you've done in sort of AFG. And, you know, no wonder you're such a wealth of knowledge. You've done a bit of everything, right? So whether that's been the general manager of the whole business or, you know, introducing the white label product to AFG, which has now been super successful. And, you know, as you mentioned to me, makes up 50% of the revenue. Uh, I worked in the different states flying around. So you've worked in the head office, you've worked uh, here in Sydney and obviously now based in Brisbane in your, in your role as national sales role. So, and, you know, one of the things that struck me was that you just love the industry, right? And you've really enjoyed the, the last two years. And I think that comes through in terms of the, the conversations that we have. What do you love about the industry? Um, I think ultimately it's um, serving customers, right? And providing solutions. Um, I think, you know, it doesn't matter if you, um, what sort of business you're running or um, what sort of product you're selling. I just, you know, I think providing great solutions for customers is something we've always enjoyed. And just so happens that I feel like in finance, the world's your oyster. It's kind of, you know, it's the most lucrative industry uh, on the planet. Um, there's plenty of opportunities. It's so, the industry is so big. So I just sort of, no two days are the same. And um, for the most part, I mean, there's tough parts of everyone's job. And I'm sure I could spend time telling you the tough parts of my job. But the, the best parts of working with people that, you know, I've got some friends I've been around a while, but they started their businesses you know, writing a million dollars a month. And today they do, you know, one and a half billion dollars a year. So it's just one of those um, industries where if you really apply yourself and you love serving customers and you're prepared to learn and, and push yourself, you can you can sort of end up wherever you want to end up. I mean, it sounds corny, but the four blokes I work for started, I love their stories, but um, they started AFG by hocking everything they have working out of the back of their car. And, you know, today the company's worth whatever, 650 million or whatever the number is, but... You know, a lot of our brokers have the same dream. They started small and they've, they've dreamt big and they've, and they've got it done. So they're, they're the sorts of things that get me out of bed every morning. Love it, love it. And I recently attended a presentation that you did for your innovators group at AFG. And, you know, I found it fascinating because you really summarised the different models. And, you know, with your wealth of experience you know, over the last sort of 15 years with AFG, you've seen a lot of brokers come and go and you, you are aware of the different models out there. So I'd love to unpack that in terms of, you know, what are the different models that you see that are working uh, in the business today? Yeah, okay. I think, well, I mean, part of that presentation was obviously saying to our brokers that the last two years is a lot of our brokers have seen a, a real surge in the amount of customers that they're serving. And so, um, it's almost like the businesses have taken a mind of their own, right? So the traditional model is you start as a one-man band, you're the or, uh, you're jack of all trades, you do everything, um, you know, you generate the leads, you serve the customers. You, you know, as you get busy, you might put on some support staff, but 
you are the business. And so that, that model in itself, um, it's a fantastic business model. Um, my experience is, you know, your overheads in running your business, are, you know, compared to a lot of other industries are quite low. Um, it, it just generates fantastic cash flow if you get it right. Um, and so that model really is a model that a lot of brokers love. That if you talk to them, the two biggest challenges they tell me is they can never take a holiday. Um, and the second thing is if they're employing support staff, those staff turn over. And that's a real stress to that's a real stress when you're running a one-man band business and you've got people supporting you that you've got to take time out of doing what you're doing to go and, you know, rehire, retrain and get going. So that sort of that one-man band model has been very popular for a long period of time. And then I think I sort of generically come across two types of brokers. One, which is I really just want to grow. I want to get bigger and I want to build a bigger business and I'm ambitious. And then there's also some brokers I meet that just don't like writing loans anymore. They, you know, they, they get to the point um, where they don't want to write loans anymore. And, that, and that's a real problem because your whole, your whole job's writing loans. And if you don't like it, you've got to find a new job, right? So a lot of our brokers will move from wanting to be the loan writer to want, wanting to manage a business that generates leads and um, has paid, whether it's paid loan writers or contracted loan writers in their business. So that, you know, that, that's, that's the evolution to, the, to model number two, which is sort of trying to... Um, move out of loan writing again more move into you know managing a broking business and that, that's a big step it's a it's a different skill set very big set um and there's a probably a couple of different ways that brokers go about that but i think one of the challenges with a lot of brokers i talk to with that model is one you know in in the first model the one-man band you can take a lot of cash out of that business and you know i, I know a lot of brokers that probably make more money in a one-man band business than you know um probably 20 or 30 of the top CEOs in the country because it's a great cash flow business, but I watch them, they take the cash out of the business and they invest it and they set their family up for life and they work incredibly hard. They do long hours. But I think in that second model, when you decide you want to evolve and you want to run a business, well, I think the key there is you, you've actually got to invest money back in the business. You've got to, you've got to take some risks, jump off the cliff is the, you know, the, the, the term I used to describe it, but you've actually got to go, you know what, instead of taking all the money out, I'm going to have to put it back in. But it's risky because if you haven't hired people before, if you haven't, you know, had to worry about, you know, the rules of employing people and the tax that goes with it, and you haven't maybe had to fire someone before, you've never had to really, you know, work really hard on culture and the team culture and all that sort of stuff because it's just being you. So I think there are some challenges in going into that model, and um, that's probably the second model, regard whether you're doing loan contractors or you're doing PAYG. I mean, my personal opinion is we're seeing the PAYG um, model really escalate and, and grow um, as probably the most populous model in the last probably two to four years. So that they're, they're the two basic models. And then we're just seeing this, and we're seeing some really big businesses get going now and um, they're starting to acquire other businesses, take stakes in other businesses and really get some scale. So I sort of kind of look at it as three different types of models. Um, it sounds pretty simplistic, but that's probably what I've seen over the over the journey. Yeah, and I think you know you're saying the the tag is you know option one as the one one man band, but that one man band can include support staff, as you mentioned. So whether yeah. that be you know VAs, and we're seeing a rise in a lot more people outsourcing uh their staff to overseas so or in-house you know power brokers or or credit analysts so i love the point that you made around you know they're unable to take a holiday is a, a negative yeah. 
And uh, <clears throat> you know, the other point is you know, a lot of people don't think about the future, right? So they rely on you know, uh, getting or hiring, say, an in-house person that comes with experience. And if we see in terms of what's happened you know, with staffing over the last you know, couple of years, good staff are in high demand. And there's a yeah. lot of uh, people willing to pay and, and pay well for well-qualified support staff. So you get the point where that person leaves. And let's say, for example, they've only got one support staff, then who does it, right? Yeah. Who, who actually processes the loans? And, and it's, a, it's, the, it's the worst call you can get from yeah. a broker that says my offsider that's been with me for five years has just left. And they're devastated um, and you feel for them because they've built a real, they're happy. They've built a great business. They're keeping their customers happy. Everything's going well. And that linchpin that sits behind them, whether it's one person or five people, um, them leaving is a, is a really big hit. So, you know, being able to go on that journey and even to go through that for the very first time, I, I still remember when I was hiring staff, um, a young bloke worked for me. I'm sure he wouldn't mind, but uh, he works for Citibank now, Chris Christophilus, lovely bloke. I hired him. He came in, did an awesome job. And I just got really upset when he left. I actually had to apologize to him. Uh, I had to call him a couple of weeks later and say, mate, it's a real backhanded compliment. I was so upset you left. I got a little bit angry, but I just didn't want to lose him. Yeah. Um, but until you go through that and deal with that and understand that's part of the job, um, the first time it happens, it can be really confronting. So, you know, there's parts of this journey. I just think you have to walk them and you have to live them. And so, um, you know, a lot of a lot of what innovators is about is just brokers sharing some of that. So you realize as a business owner, oh well, Chris went through that too, and he's still going through that. And that, you know, I say this all the time, and you heard me say it that day. But HR is the hardest part of my. It's the hardest part of my job. It has been for a decade, and will be for the next decade. Um, it's just you never conquer it, but it's it's something that it's a skill set that you can learn, um, and you got to find you know. I heard someone say the other day, one of our brokers said culture eats strategy for breakfast every day of the week, but to build that culture in your team where, you know, you're, you're the person responsible for hiring them and creating the culture. That's a really, um, if you just were running a one man band broker business, you don't even have to have that skill set. But if you've now got five support staff and you've got two staff overseas and you're starting to generate some serious revenue, well, all of a sudden there's a whole lot of other skill sets that you need to embrace and learn. And I think that's, you know, what I've seen the best brokers do is, is break through that and, and accept they have to they have to take responsibility for that and and really master those skill sets to be able to get where they need to go. Yeah, I agree. And you know, there's nothing like failing forward. And it was something that we embraced in our business. And you know, what you see the learnings when this happens to a broker is they start to think more like business people, right? Because they go, Oh, I lost a staff member that was doing it all. And they basically forget how to do it and don't know how to do it. And the process wasn't documented. So they had a start, they were relying on staff to run their business rather than a cracking process to run their business. Yeah. Right? So quite often the process walks out the door with that person. And then they realize, oh crap, I've got to actually develop and train someone and put some rigor behind what I'm doing because I never want this to happen again, right? So yeah. this is yeah. when they come to me in my program and we work on building those steps within their process so the process can run their business rather than 
their support staff running their business. And yeah, it sounds simple, but it's a it's a mind shift. I think you need, you need to understand what business you're in as well. You know, we did this. Um, we we. We take our bro- brokers on. Uh, some of our brokers get to come with us on a Harvard Business School course. We do. We get professors to come over and run case studies. And we did a case study a couple of years ago where uh, one of the um, businesses was a, a Spanish um, pizza franchise business. But they asked the owner um, about his business, and he said, "I was never in the pizza business." And they said, "Well, can you explain a little bit more about that?" And he said, "Well, the business started with me just having one shop." I got a uni student in to do, you know, ride the bike and deliver the pizzas. And then I moved him into the front office to take some calls. Then I taught him how to make pizzas. And then I taught him how to manage pizza makers. Then I made him a store manager. And then once he learned all that, I sent him out and he set a franchise up. And so his view was his skill set was finding the uni student and bringing them through the process. And at the other end, they popped out and they were a franchisee of his. And it was really interesting because it made you think, you know, if you're running a business where you've got lots of staff, if say you only need 10 staff to run your business, if the 10 staff never leave, well, then the world's your oyster. You're, you're as happy as you've been. But that's not actually what happens. You've, your 10 staff turn over. If your staff numbers grow to 20, so, you've, it's, it, so you're, you're starting to go, wow, I'm actually, even though we're writing loans and I'm generating leads, I'm actually in the business of finding people that want to come in and write that. Wow. Um, and do that and it was a big learning for a lot of us on when we heard that story to go you know what um we need to really understand what business what business we're actually in and if you need a lot of staff to run your business well you're in the business of finding good staff and you know understanding that that's part of the job description can be quite challenging um yeah. i have this other one other saying that i say to a lot of my brokers is i mean i obviously you know i, I played professional sport a bit but my pet hate is when the coach goes to the press conference after the game and he blames the players. And it's like, well, hang on, mate. You, you found them, you picked them, you trained them, you put the strategy together, you put them on the pitch. They didn't win and now you want to blame them. It's sort of like, so there's a, there's a journey there for the, the, the leader of the business to say, I have to take responsibility you know, for everything that's going on in the business. And it just so happens that if you, know, you want to grow a really successful broker business with a lot of loan writers and a lot of processing staff and managing a whole lot of things, well, the responsibilities you're going to have to learn some skill sets that maybe you haven't learned before so we just sort of try to work with our um, business owners on that journey to say you know we we can all share some stories about how we can do some of those things and help each other out and that's what i love about your program you, you're bringing lots of great people together and they're actually helping each other it's it's brokers helping brokers and that's pretty cool right yeah exactly right and just to go back on your point around, you know, why people leave and the pizza shop owner, he he's, creates the runway for them, right? And so yeah. why often, you know, staff leave and will leave your business. And I was just chatting uh, to a good friend who runs a big accountancy practice this morning and he was talking about how he trains up accountants. They leave to the big four after three or four years. And you know, one of the things I was chatting is people leave your business when they run out of future right? And part of that culture that you talked about is creating that future. So they have a runway that they can follow, right? And in a small broking business where we don't have, um, it's the one man band, there's not a lot of vision, there's not a lot of scope for the future, right? So unless they're um, somebody that's quite happened doing an admin role, and we used to call them plotters in our business, if you've got a plotter, that's just happy to, to plot along, they may stay with you for 15 years. But if you've got someone with any ambition, the likelihood that you're going to keep them for a long term if you don't have that runway 
um, is, is going to be challenging. So that's why that sort of second model where you're creating a bit of a business uh, and you're giving people a future can sometimes work, right? Because yeah, look at us yep. in, in our mortgage business, the two people that are running our Aussie Parramatta franchise were long-term employees for us. Uh, and so the fact yeah. that we had a larger business meant that when Scott and I came to the exit strategy, we had people that could move up into that role, right? So I think, you know, when you're looking at the, the different options, you've also got to look at, well, what do I want to create? What opportunities do I want to create for the people that are coming into the business, similar to the pizza owner? Yeah. You can also, the other thing you can also understand is, I mean, once again, I mean, I'm sorry I talk in sporting analogies, but if you're at a football club, you, you don't get, your career's up, there's a timeline, right? So they just have to accept that they've got to keep finding new talent. And I think understanding what your model is, if your model is you come with me and you stay with me forever and I give you a pathway forever, then you make that model work. If your model is, listen, I know I'm only going to get you for three years, then as a business owner, you're going, is it worth your while to do that? And if it's like, you know what, every three years I bring in five employees and I make 150,000 a year per employee. So over that three year period, I make 750 grand off them. They make what they make. I make what I make and I can keep doing that. You can actually have a business model like that too. But I think it's just really, for me, it's just understanding how the model works and saying, okay, well, you know, if you're not going to stay with me forever, then I need to bring people in who I'm going to get what I want and they get what they want. So there's a win-win but I still got to I still got to be able to replace them, and so I think in my in in my business, people do come and go. That's what they do. We can't, you know, we we got a lot of employees. I'm, you know, they've been at AFG longer than me, but we've also got some that come and go. So just I have to accept as a leader that my skill set of replacing them is just as important as finding them. Um, so it's like two different skill sets: finding them, well, trying to keep them, but also being able to replace them. And as a business owner, I've actually had to learn those three skill sets because mm. I guarantee you when I left um, Brisbane as a uh, soccer player and started as a bank teller, I didn't know any of these skills. So I just, to me, they're, they're learnable, but um, just understanding what your business actually does and how it monetizes for you, I think that's really important. And um, we've just got so many great brokers that um, they all run such different models, but they all work. Um, and that's kind of the that's kind of the message, right? You know, not one size fits all, which which is what we love. Exactly right. I love your analogy around the soccer team and having that feeder team that can step up and play first grade once the turnover of staff happens. And you know, I took it with my broking business, and we were light on in in terms of the number of brokers but we had a, a number of support staff that would come in in that credit analyst role. They'd learn the game, if you like, in the credit analyst role. But if one of the brokers left, we always had someone that could then, you know, rise up to first grade, if you like, and take the broker yeah. seat, right? So it's you constantly, I know some of the best businesses, you know, someone like Ben Kingsley's um, business has created a bit of an academy where they have the associate brokers and they get trained yeah. up and move into that broking role once they've sort of you know cut their teeth. Uh, and so he's given them a career progression when they yeah. join as an associate. Mate, and, um, Lane Gallery, Mark Guglielmo and the, um, Steve Matsukas at Lane Gallery have got one now and, and Darren Little and David Brell and Simon Orville, I've got a brilliant one themselves. So yeah, I think that's, 
they've sort of sat back and said, you know, what's the next generation? Like our industry, AFG is 27 years old. So let, I don't know. I, I don't know exactly when the industry started, but let's say it's 30 years old. Mm. Um, you know, we're in the, we're in the turnover period. You, you joined when you were 35 and, you know, now you're 65. So they're looking in a tight employment market to, to find ways to bring you talent through and serve their customers. They're good at generating leads, but they're also, they're also just thinking about, well, I've got a process and I'd really, a lot of them will say they like to bring someone in and, and have them think, you know, in, in terms of just as example, Darren Little, the smart move way. Yeah. Um, it just makes sense. So, yeah, I think, I think that they're all some of the things you learn along the way, but you're probably ahead of your time with the credit analysts, mate, because a lot of our brokers now, that's, that's a key position for our growing businesses, but mm. sounds like you had it way before anybody else did. Yeah, I, um, I did a bit of research and, uh, you know, looked and there wasn't a lot of people doing what I was doing, but I did a bit of research and saw what they were doing in the States. And uh, so I always had it in my mind in terms of, you know, this is the type I want to be the, the broker that sees the client and then hand it off to somebody. Uh, yeah. And yeah, so probably uh, was one of the first to sort of really embrace that model, but it's, you know, definitely uh something that a lot of people have embraced now and it's still a transactional business right so you know one of the things you know i was at a i was at a function the other day and a group of brokers were sitting around talking about some self-employed transactions and you know it it's not lost on me a lot that um mate some of our brokers are exceptionally talented and you know they could just you're not going to get i just don't think you're going to get that service walking into a branch like you're you know some of our brokers can pull apart a really complex self-employed transaction and have happy customers walk out, get everything they want. The bank gets what they want. Um, so that, that credit skill set and the ability to understand the transaction is still key to any broker business, right? Those, so those skill sets are just really important. Oh, definitely. Definitely. I yeah. was chatting to some brokers the other day. I'm saying, you know, out of all the things that you get paid for, the things that you get paid for are the sales and solutions. Right. You get paid yeah. for the sales and solution. Uh, you don't get paid for delivery, right? A lot of brokers yeah. get stuck in the actual delivery once the decision's been made and the client said yes, they're stuck in the process, right? They don't get paid for that. They get paid for sales and solution. Right? So if you're stuck in the delivery side of the business, which a lot of brokers don't want to let go of for fear and for relationship, yeah. better. But the, the best brokers understand what they get paid for and what the best use of their time is. And it's yeah. around sales, strategy, and solution. All right? So if yeah. you focus on that, then you're going to leverage the value um, that you've got and obviously the value of your business, right? So, uh, and I think, we're, mate, I reckon we're about to head into a period where brokers are really going to value the ability to find new customers because new customers is new revenue. And we're having a bit of a debate this morning about real estate, right? But um, I had a, I had a, um, I think the real estate agents that are selling properties, they the one thing they do better than everyone else is they find new customers. Um, my real estate agent couldn't sell my house without putting it on realestate.com. So it, it, the realestate.com find the buyers, but my agent finds the sellers, and that's what makes them relevant. They they go into the community and they find the sellers, the new customers, and so I think, you know what fundamentally when you think about that now um that sort of model you just spoke about your ability to find new customers and provide a solution but not as you said you don't need to get involved in the fulfillment bit that's so important isn't it 
Oh, exactly right. And, you know, you can be taken over by technology to a certain degree, right? But the, what you were talking about, the skills uh, to come up with the strategy and solution for a complex self-employed or a complex investment deal can't be outsourced, right? Those things can't be outsourced. The building the relationship, the coming up with the strategy and plans and, you know, how you're going to create wealth for a client with deeper questions and conversations is not something that a computer system is going to be able to replace you with. No, right? I think the standard, the standards just keep improving. So, um, you know, listening to, we had some of our top brokers at our strategic partners over in Perth last week, but just listening to the standard, um, the competition is lifting and what, you know, what a customer expects today, I probably would have said five years ago, it was a 10 out of a 10. But today it's probably just a seven out of ten, and to get ten, you've got to go. You've got to go even further. So, I think that's what we're we're seeing a lot of innovation and creativity coming as our industry matures, and there's a lot of talented um, young entrepreneurs coming through into our industry, which is actually pretty exciting to see too, mate. Oh, definitely, definitely, and you know how much value they can add now with the you know the advent of uh, you know social media and video and you know, just the different ways that you can communicate your message these days. Uh, yeah. it's, it's amazing, right? So the level of value that you can provide compared to, you know, back in the day is, is a lot greater. So I'm keen to just go into, so we've gone through the one-man band. We've gone through the sort of the, the management sort of level in terms of recruiting brokers and providing the culture and the, the runway. So you can step back. Yes, you may have to invest a bit, I remember Otto Dagen uh, said to me, management pays less than sales, right? And yeah. I don't think a lot of brokers get that. They're used to making the money as a one-man band, but they don't realize that, hey, I might have to actually lower my salary expectations if I want to buy my time back and manage a business. Yeah, I think that's, uh, you know, never a true word was fed, spoke. If you talk to, you know, all our brokers and ask them, when they went from being a one-man band to setting up, they'll tell you when they're a one-man band, they'll just, because they're taking all the cash out, they're making more money. Now you've actually got to put the cash in um, and you've got to invest it. So it's going to, it's a journey and it's not a three-year journey. I can tell you that much. Um, you know, the brokers you talk to that did it successfully are sort of saying it's 10 to 15 years to get to the real high end. It's not a, it's not a quick journey. And so it always begs the question, you know, if you do, if you do want to get there, well, you need to start walking. Um, yeah and I think yeah. it's a difference right so you said there's those two models one gives you the cash flow with the ability to invest in other things and you know, part of the beauty about this business and I know building a billion dollar book is the revenue that you get from the asset that you're building and I think one of the benefits of the second model that we're talking about is the fact that you've got multiple loan writers gives you leverage which means your actual asset value increases in value more. Much better. Yeah, it'll, it'll, it'll that, uh, yeah. that second model will be, your business will be worth a lot more than the first model for sure. Yeah. And so I think that's yeah. an important thing. The one that I'm keen to sort of, you know, tap into and um, is the big businesses. And AFG, you know, has a, a numerous sort of big businesses. So give me some of the characteristics that you're seeing and some of the common threads that you're seeing in these bigger businesses that AFG have. Oh, yeah, I think, I mean, it's a, there's a journey to get there, but I, I think 
one of the things we, we weren't, there's probably a few, a lot of them don't sweat the small stuff. I think they've, they've worked out, you know, it's a, it's a pretty rigorous game um, doing lending at times, depending on turnaround times and you know, customer experience and competition. So I think they don't sweat small stuff. Um, they're right across the numbers. So their ability to, uh, do an, to um, analyze the business, but analyze the right numbers and be across the key metrics is important. A lot of them will have brought in extra skill sets, Ross. They'll, they, won't, they won't be the smartest person in the room. They will have brought in maybe a general manager to help them run the business. They might have brought in, you know, they might, they might be good at marketing, so they don't need a hand at that, but they mightn't be that good at risk and compliance, so they'll bring someone in to help with that. Or they might be really good at risk and compliance, but they're not good at marketing. So I think they know their strengths and their weaknesses really well. Yeah. Um, I think they're, they're, their ability to keep setting themselves goals and to keep um, going towards the main goal as important, but probably mostly their vision and their culture of their business are probably the two big um, definers. They've really created a culture that not only attracts customers and, and delivers happy um, customers with great results, but they're also bringing in quality people into their team and, and manage them. So like you mentioned Otto Dargan before, like just a fantastic business operator. I spent a bit of time with Otto. Like you sit, you sit down with him, really, really clear on what he wanted to do. I think there's a fair bit of courage there. You just can't leave the C word out. The, the, their ability to jump off a cliff and say, I'm going to go for this, invest the money and um, you'll pay it forward as you call it. Um, you know, to me, you kind of make mistakes and you learn from them, but there's probably a few characteristics, characteristics in there that they do. Um, and, they're, and they're pretty resilient and you know, they just work hard. They work incredibly hard to get what they want to do. Um, and they're very good at building broader relationships in the, so they've, you know, smart moves, good example. They've just built some excellent lender relationships, some excellent industry relationships. Um, they've stuck to their strategy all along. They were very clear. Uh, I sat down with David Brell probably, I don't know, maybe 2009, 13 years ago. And he was very clear what he wanted to achieve. Um, he was, he was very, um, I don't know, was strong-minded or confident, but he, they knew what they wanted to do. They set it out and, and along the way they made some mistakes, but they, they kept going. And um, they've also, they also give back to the industry. That's probably the other thing. A lot of those big groups do really well is, you know, Darren Little's probably one of the um, most generous sharers I know. Um, yeah, he's, he's, he certainly he's hasn't, coming, he hasn't, he hasn't bottled it up. Yeah. He's, he's coming hand, on my he, program next, yeah, next month, actually. I ended um, end of June, right? So he's giving back to the guys in our program. Yeah. Like and that's the standard, right? That's yeah. the, I mean, that's the standard. You've got a, you know, CEO of Smart Move, um, you know, very intelligent, um, has worked a long time in the industry and just came in and, and helped deliver the vision. And I, I think um, the, the structures of the businesses are important too, you know, um, to get to really high levels. You're, normally you have to bring probably some people into some equity positions as well um, along the journey, but getting that right and, you know, I still reckon our best businessmen uh, owners have great judgment. And we talked about that a little bit when you were at the innovators, which is you've just got to get 70% of your calls, right? Like you're not as a leader, you're not paid to make bad decisions. You, you're paid to make good decisions and the right decisions. So you've got to be making more right decisions than wrong decisions. I think it sounds pretty basic, but it's a standard you have to hold yourself to as a leader, which is, I mean, I do I, I, that sort of, I look at that at every day when I get home or look in the mirror and go, you know, did you, did you make good decisions today? Did you make bad ones? And so there's probably a whole lot of different things go into it, but they're probably the things I've seen the big guys do um, really, really well. They're just, they're pretty savvy. Um, yeah. They know, 
they know what they need to do and they, they make good decisions. Oh, exactly right. And I think, you, you know, you mentioned a couple of things there, right? So one, vision and culture. They know their numbers. They, they develop themselves. They, they're not afraid to invest in, uh, you know, I call it who, not how. It's not how am I going to do it? Who do I know that can help me with this? Um, and then looking at really sort of clear at that goals and again, you know, the, the decision-making and they're not, not afraid to make a decision, right? So either yeah. wrong or rightly, but if they make it, they commit to it. And as long as they get it right, 70% of the time, love it. So I want to start to wrap it up. Before we wrap it up, obviously you've seen a lot of brokers come and go through the industry over, you know, many, many years um, in the industry. So if you were to sort of define it into, you know, some of the, the key things and key habits that, you know, a, a broker looking to really scale a business would need to do, what are some of those habits that you'd like to see? Oh, wow, that's an interesting one, isn't it? Um, well, I think you've got to, I think you've, first of all, you've got to define your why, why are you doing it? Um, I think that's important. So if you're just scaling for, because you want to make more money, it's probably not a great reason. If you're scaling because you want to create a great business and you know you know provide you want to help more customers provide more solutions you want to help bring some people into your business and you know contribute financially back to the community all those things are great but you need to understand what your why is you got to know why you're doing it and by the way I'm not saying there's anything wrong with saying you want to make a million dollars but you know if that's your why that's great but I think your customers aren't buying that your customers are buying what you know, what you're delivering to them. So I think the first thing is to say, you know, understand why you're doing it. Um, and then you, you probably just have a, have a plan and an understanding of, you know, what you think it's going to take to get there. Um, there's no doubt there's going to be a lot of hard work, but I think my view is you, you've got to focus on um, activities that generate revenue. Um, I think, and bring in the skill sets that you don't have. That probably my. Um, but we talk about DPH, which is dollars per hour, and I just think that makes sense, right? A lot of, you know, a lot of smart businessmen will go. When I'm sitting in front of a client that's got a two million dollar deal, um, within 30 minutes or an hour, I can put that deal together. Well, I want to sit in front of more of those customers. The fact that it, that deal might take eight hours to process and put together, well, I can bring in some really good support people that like doing that. And I can spend those eight hours out finding another four of those transactions. So I think just understanding what what's going to drive the growth um, and, and having a commitment, as you said, to invest back in. Like it's, you can't burn the candle at both ends, as they say. Like you can't take all the money out of the business and then expect that um, you, you're going to be able to make that, that model work. And that culture, people, 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 um, you know, Got, my advice would be you, you're going to have to really back yourself in to find some good people to come with you. Um, it's not easy. There's lots of competition. So I always ask my brokers, why would they, why would I want to work for you? Because um, I think their proposition to their referrers is really good. I think their proposition to their customers is really good. But when you move into that next model, it's, well, what's your proposition to your, to your staff? Why would you, why would I want to come and work for you if I could work somewhere else? What do I get? Um, so they're just a few things, mate, off the top of my head. I think they're a great top five, right? So I'll summarise, define your why. You'll have that purpose. Number two, focus on the activities. Uh, I call it the dollar productive activities. You call it a, uh, DPH, dollars per hour. 
um, you know, and bring in people to help in the areas that you're not great at and invest your money back into the business and then people, people, people have your own staff value proposition so you can show them what their journey is going to be within your business. So love that. I think uh, it's been a lot of value in terms of, you know, the, the conversation today. So thanks, Chris. It's been a pleasure having you on and uh, I'd love to get you back sometime and we can pick apart some other topic. Well, thanks for having us on, Ross. And I hope um, I wasn't too much of a drag down from the, oh, you've obviously you said at the start, you only normally have brokers on. So um, you took a risk, obviously, but I hope it wasn't too bad. And um, my last piece of advice to um, anyone out there trying to get going is you just got to keep putting one foot in front of the other. You've got to keep going no matter how hard it gets. And there's, there's plenty of people around that have been through it and that can, that can help you and therefore support. Don't be afraid to ask ask for help because there's, there's actually some pretty good people around and like yourself that that'll help brokers if they ask yeah definitely definitely and uh i'm all about giving back and it's a big reason i do what i do but i've found you know yourself included when i was starting this business slats i was able to sort of reach out and ask you a question and you were able to give me feedback and i found that with the whole industry right it's don't be afraid to for that person who's up the line from where you want to be, don't be afraid to reach out because I think, you know, probably nine times out of 10, they'd be more than willing to, to do that and to, to give you their time. So, yeah, there's some good role models, isn't there out there? Like Mari McLeod, she's just a fantastic role model. She just, she, you know, her and Tracy Keery go into schools and help, you know, help educate children. Joy Hobbs, one of our brokers on the Sunshine Coast, wrote a book about educating um, families educating their young children. So there's just some great role models out there for other brokers to look up to and go, now these, these, these brokers will talk to you. They'll tell you what they're doing. And um, I think it's just, yeah, there's some fantastic brokers in our industry across, across all aggregators, not just at AFG. I've met some of the most fantastic brokers um, that aren't with AFG. So it's a pretty good industry to be in. I'm probably a bit biased, but uh, yeah. Anyway, let's long live the broking industry, mate. Excellent. All right. Well, thanks, Chris, again. This has been another episode of the Billion Dollar Broker podcast. If you'd like to subscribe, uh, we're on all the podcast channels. Uh, also, you can catch us on all the socials. Uh, we've got a private page called the Billion Dollar Broker and join our private Facebook page as well as LinkedIn, Instagram and YouTube. And uh, if you want to work with us privately, I'd love you to reach out and we'll have a quick chat to see how we can help you start to accelerate your business. Thanks and we'll catch you next time.